In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waverhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus. Hmm? You're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. It's your nutty, crazy bruiser, Holden McNeely. And I am your bastion of sanity wizard, Jake Young. Don't feel bad. Never lose your cool. Take pills till the pain stops. <laughs> Tell me about your father. I ate his butt! What? God damn it. I'm sorry, I apologize. What podcast am I on? Am I on Wizard of the Bruiser? Or am I on Roundtable of Gentlemen? Everyone, hello, welcome to the Wizard and the Bruiser, our second part of the X-Men, the, the the legacy of the X-Men. It's uncanny how incredible the legacy of the X-Men is. The new, the old, the brown costumes, the yellow costumes, the black costumes. I mean, it's a whole gamut of emotions in the colors of those damn costumes. I mean, it was the most popular comic book ever sold. <laughs> um, we talked about that last episode. That's old news, you damn filthy wizard but that translates into a a place in people's hearts it's a multimedia franchise that uh we you know to to not talk about all the other forms that the x-men have, have have taken is would be a disservice yes part one we focused on the comic books themselves now part two today we're going to focus on the other sort of versions of the x-men seen in different media types especially around the 90s and through into modern day but uh uh, before we even do that, we can talk about the earliest inclusion of the X-Men on television, and that would be the Marvel Superheroes in 1966, an American-Canadian animated show. It's the first TV series that had Marvel characters. It is Awful. Have you ever seen this? Sh it is like the least amount of animation I've ever oh, seen. Oh, this thing. I've never seen so little animation in a cartoon before than this. This is like the slightest ma mouth movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and all these stills. They, they pumped them out like wildfire. There were 65 half-hour episodes, each with three seven-minute segments. And they made 195 segments. That's how just like mass-produced, cheap and dumb and stupid and terrible. Look this up, Mark. Marvel superheroes. Well, it is like a bastion of, of the, 60s uh, animation. The uh, I mean, it's it survives to this day because if you think of all the um, 
of the classic Marvel like jaunty '60s theme songs, uh-huh. uh, except for Spider-Man, Spider-Man. That was like a different production. But you know, uh, the, across the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where right. the boom. That's uh, from the Marvel superheroes thing. Uh, when Captain America throws his mighty shield, right? All Thor, th- Thor, stupid ass Thor, making his way up no. to Death's door. <laughs> I remember that one was really good. It wasn't played by a jug band. <laughs> I remember that one. No, was no, really no. Good. The, uh, the the best the best lyric in all of them is the Hulk's one because uh, it's the, the first like this, I think this, if I remember correctly these are the first two lines from the Hulk's one all of these are like very still images of Jack Kirby's artwork that are kind of just jostled around like yes uh, but it was Doctor Bruce Banner pelted by gamma rays turns into the Hulk and then like this shrill like Long Island voice comes in I know and just goes ain't he unglam Glamorous. <laughs> Gamma rays? Unglamorous. I was going to try to make up another superhero song, but actually the real source material yeah, that's is what I'm ludicrous saying. How can you mock? Yeah, why would I even make something? I was like, like trying to think of a superhero to do like one of those. It's like making fun of a mentally challenged boy. Like, you're not gaining any points. But you're having a fucking blast. <laughs> it, it, uh, the, the original lineup uh, for, for the uh, X-Men that appeared in the Marvel superheroes was the original lineup in the comics, Angel the Beast, Cyclops, Iceman, and Marvel Girl, um, and they uh, appeared in a, the, a Submariner episode, Doctor Doomsday, the Doomed Allegiance, Tug of Death. Uh, I was trying to find uh, any source uh, material on that, but it, you don't even need to look up any random episode of the Marvel Superheroes just for a taste of it. It's, it's wonderfully, delightfully terrible. Uh, they guest starred a little bit in some episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, but you could hear more about that on our uh, Spider-Man I mean, Iceman is one of the amazing super friends. It's only natural. Of course. Iceman appeared as well as Firestar, um, uh, who originated on the show, but later became a member of the X-Men, which I found to be kind of nuts. Apparently, Firestar started on the show and then made its way, made made their way into the That's not the, I mean, you know, Dazzler was also created Uh, for like a weird Marvel record company product tie-in, and like they didn't quite know what to do with her, so they just like, she ended up on the X-Men. But it wasn't until... 1989 that the X-Men would begin to get a sense of themselves in their own TV show with X-Men Pride of the X-Men. Pride with a Y because the story was largely centered around the character Kitty Pride. And uh, if you remember the last episode, Kitty Pride was brought in uh, after the Dark Phoenix saga to represent like kind of a fresh face, new, innocent beginning. Kind of a um, even by, you know, even by the 1980s, the X-Men had so much lore and backstory that you needed like a new point of view character through which you could like engage all these characters so there was like a tv block around that time which i would have loved i I, i'm surprised this i think this is a little before my time of of really getting into these kinds of cartoon shows but it was the marvel action universe uh tv block and it's a really cool one they did um adaptations of dino riders and robocop they also rebroadcast older shows like dungeons and dragons 
the new Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So which these we just are mentioned. all the Marvel productions yes. uh, shows that like maybe they weren't uh, popular or good anymore, but like you could still package them for syndication. And and they would they would they would re-air these on like a what was this like a Saturday morning thing or was this a weekday everyday thing? I, either way, they would they would re-air these shows. Um, and uh, this might be a, like early Sunday morning even like it's just fill in time. And so it, during this time filler uh, TV block, they decided to create a new TV episode for the X-Men as sort of a pilot called X-Men Pride of the X-Men. Uh, Toei, uh, to- how do you say? Toei. Toei Animation produced the animation. If you, um, if it you... took uh, issues number 129 through numbers 139 of the Uncanny X-Men and it just adapted that into this uh, pilot episode. I genuinely think this is worth watching. I had the VHS copy when I was a kid and like burned through it. Uh, the Toei Animation is really good. Uh, uh-huh. We talked about in previous episodes how like uh if you remember how good the animation was in the teenage mutant ninja turtles opening compared to how like weird and off model they were like during the later seasons yeah it's because toei uh and in the hayao miyazaki episode this is a some kind of uh uh, uh, overlap if you will um the Toei Animation was incredibly talented studio with incredibly talented people, and the Pride of the X Men has like an almost anime flair for like action and character acting uh-huh. in it. That is amazing. It also featured. Uh, can we play it? Yeah, let's play the, uh, that uh, theme song. From fuck X-Men. you, nineties kids. Fuck you, straight up. Uh, your no, 90s no, no. Oh, by asses. the way, preface. Uh, Jake's wrong in like everything he's about to say. Go on, Jake. This is the singular Jake's best X Men cartoon theme song of all time. Jake is super wrong. Megan, please play that funky <laughs> dope jam. <laughs> Jake's just wrong. It's no a dope song. To I'm gonna, the mutant age has now begun. I'm not gonna lie, it's a cool It's a cool song. It's just no uh 90, no no cartoon that we're about to talk wait, wait. about. So good. Look at and also look at this animation. Look at like you cannot handle this. Okay, so the reason it's fine. I am turgid right now. So the real reason why, personally, I think you should watch this uh, special um, if you were a kid who uh, who uh, of the 90s who frequented arcades, they directly based the Konami 1992 arcade cabinet, arcade game uh, on this special, and it will blow your mind to watch this episode <laughs> because, like, all, it'll be such a nostalgia trip for if you used to play the game because you'll see everything reference there all the characters the blob the um character designs um uh what's the name of the fire so yeah yeah just uh pyro pyro Avalanche. is one of the bosses um wendigo master mold the white queen juggernaut mystique and magneto are all bosses uh in that uh they used a lot of those designs from this um cyclops colossus wolverine storm nightcrawler and dazzler were the different characters you could choose in that game um and who's, who's your favorite in that in that uh game? i think i all oh, <laughs> Colossus had the best special move, and therefore he was my favorite. Ah, he would just go. Ah, 
he'd get really mad and just go, and then the whole everyone around him would just melt underneath his his screaming rage. I was like Nightcrawler because his like grab attack was he would just he was jump. Cool. He would just jump on the guy's belly. That was a very cool. And of course, Wolverine was pretty badass. Oh, um, God, I still you, you, like uh, Wolverine's special attack in that game was uh, he would just like do something with his claws where they yeah, would reach would all the way. Yeah, he would. Uh, and I feel like it's just. I, just, I love that game. As a kid, I was like, why doesn't Wolverine do that all the time? I know, right? It seems like it would come in handy. <laughs> like, I had no understanding of game mechanics or adaptation. I would just, like, read uh, my X-Men comics and be like, why doesn't he do the claw lasers? It's so great. I mean, we're going to cover the arcade uh, or video games later, but we'll, we'll now we're talking about it, so let's just go ahead and uh, uh, knock out the little tidbits I had about it. One of my favorite things about it was there was a version of it that was a six-player cabinet. Oh, I remember that, that. It was made using two screens. They used two contiguous screens. One screen in the usual place for an arcade game. The other in the cabinet below reflected by a mirror on one side of the screen, which created the effect of a single double wide screen setup, which is really interesting. It makes me want to go back and like look at those cabinets. Whenever I'd enter an arcade with one of those cabinets, I was so excited and then immediately saddened that I didn't have enough friends to frequent every uh, portal Uh of the cabinet. But still, it was always so exciting to see the full six player one. It was also a quarter gobbler. And if you've played it again, it was released by the the way, uh, and a port, a port of the game came out by Backbone Entertainment, released by Konami um, on the PlayStation Network and Xbox Live Arcade. So I remember at least for the 360, and it had a, PS3, it had a good run on 360. People were playing it a lot, and if you notice how quickly it would take you to reach a continue as you went through the game, it was like immediate. The bosses had like very little um, hit detection or like any chance to like really understand why anything, you know, because yeah, there was very little strategy. It was cheap deaths uh yeah my arcade was very popular there was a place called sport time usa that was like the cat's pajamas like every kid wanted to be there every weekend and uh i I just had that mine was always you know when you went to the beach uh, there was always that arcade or when you went to you know a place like that or or like a theme park or something that was the big arcade but i remember um the pavilion i believe it was called in myrtle beach had a big ass arcade and i would go nuts there i only mention this because my memory of that x-men arcade game with the full six player setup was having to because it was so popular having to begrudgingly take like the far corner yes. dazzler yes pad because yes. i was the only player nobody wanted be. yeah yeah total i totally remember that too oh um, i don't want to play the sexy short-haired woman <laughs> with yeah. her skin tight blue spandex bodysuit and leather jacket it was th- this was the holy trinity of beat-em-ups in the arcade in the 90s it was x-men mm-hmm. what do you think it is uh i'm gonna you know say x-men teenage Mutant ninja turtles and i i want to hear what your third one would be the simpsons Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. That was the Holy Trinity. X-Men, Ninja Turtles, The Simpsons, all Konami. And the difference, though, was Simpsons and uh, Ninja Turtles, I feel like those were relatively beatable. You could do it on a five spot. A five spot, uh, You yes. could easily do it on a five Which, spot. back in those days is now is, uh, I think it's $48. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, with inflation. But, um, yeah, but it was different with uh, X-Men. X-Men was just like, you know, probably pumping like 10 bucks, I think. Anyways, oh. back to uh, X-Men on television. Yes? Uh, just little... There's uh, one uh, th- extra thing you need to know about Pride of the X-Men yes. before we move on from Please. it. Please, wonderful segue. Back into the TV. Uh, the vo- Wolverine was Australian. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's just that's amazing. He's literally I hey, think Bob. there's even a line where he's like gr- putting shrimp on a Barbie. It's Does like he say that Bob. No, it's like oh, it's like half Scottish. Like it's real bad. Uh, Super producer Megan, if you can like try and get me clips of Australian, I don't Wolverine, call me friends, me bobs. I call them me such mates. A weird. Bo- I think it's because in the eighties, like Australia was big. People uh-huh. just thought Australia was cool in the 80s. And I think it's just, it sounded tough. There we go. Scenes of Wolverine. Welcome her. Wait, she's not drawn in the X-Men, is she? She's just a kid. That's there we go. Wolverine. That's, That's Wolverine. That's incredible. That's the weirdest accent I've that. ever heard. That is unbelievable. Now, let's fucking play the greatest theme song to the fa- on the to, on the face of the planet ever Did forever. Did you just not hear? I heard what I heard. Now let's hear the best damn theme song of all time. Kick it, Megan. Fuck yeah! <laughs> just immediate. Horny, 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 horny. Get it pumped right now. It's going to be the X-Men time. Uh, It's probably going to be that episode again where Wolverine fights Sabretooth. I feel like every time I watch that goddamn show, they played that one episode, Wolverine and and Sabretooth fight in the snow. And it made me insane. It's like, there's so many episodes. (laughs) Play a different one. Get an awkward boner because now there's Rogue. I cannot wait to play and watch the show. Uh, We'll have my action figures out. Yeah, Bam. dude. I hope Jubilee's not in this one. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but come on, guys. <laughs> and, but, oh, I can't. Uh, guys, so remember that scene in the X-Men where they all walk in a straight horizontal yeah. line? At each other, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, perfect. And wait. Ooh, that's good. So good. Now, you know what, Holden? You I, make, I love that You make song. a really good point. Um... And I want to I want to amend my previous statement. That's why they called me good points in high school. Uh, the 90s X-Men cartoon did have the best theme song to Thank an you. X-Men cartoon. Thank Unfortunately, you. it wasn't the one you just played. Uh, what? The Japanese theme song to the X-Men cartoon is the most metal, badass thing you will ever hear in your entire life. Uh, Super Let's Dusen hear Megan, it. Uh, skip a little bit forward because there's like a long like, Daihasuno X-Men Mutant Power. Like, uh, okay. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, here we good. go. Here we go. Listen to this. This is sick. Yeah, yeah. This is anime as fuck. So anime. And this is the same show. (laughs) Same show. They just they just added all these like. Wait, wait, wait for this. Here it comes. Nice. Break out, dude. All right, that is completely reanimated the opening sequence. It is anime as fuck. Sick. And it is aliens in it and shit. Yeah, yeah. It's so radical. That is awesome. And that is like the quintessential for me design as well of the X-Men. Phenomenal shit. Um, So X-Men, the animated series, debuted on the Fox Network on October 31st, 1992. I feel like a lot of us are all going to soak in the nostalgia trip we're all about to take right now. I don't know if this uh, show was important to you as a kid, but it sure as fuck was important to me. I was so excited about this show. I was 
so happy every single Saturday. This was the show I was wanting to watch as a kid. I mean, Batman the Animated Series is pretty good, too. Yes, it was. But this, for some reason, I would just hit me at the exact right time. I got so into it. So, uh, yeah, uh, Margaret Loesch uh, became head of Fox's Children's Network. But before that, she was the president and CEO of Marvel Productions and had championed Pride of the X-Men. We should also uh, mention what happened to Pride of the X-Men. Pride of the X-Men was this one sort of pilot, but what happened was essentially it came out, and then right after that, Marvel started having intense financial difficulties, and so funding for more episodes had to be cut, because uh, they were kind of paying for it like out of pocket to, to see if it could go. That Marvel company just can't catch a break, you know? So Margaret Loesch always remembered Pride of the X-Men, always thought that, that could have been a really good show. Once she became head of Fox's Children's Network, she quickly ordered 13 episodes of an animated X-Men show. Saban Entertainment coming oh, back guys. again. Here comes Israeli weirdos. <laughs> Going to make some stuff for kids. Contracted to produce and hired uh, a small studio themselves to make the show. Gratz Entertainment or Graz Entertainment. Um, also, uh, they uh, they got the, uh, a South Korean uh, animation company, Acom, uh, to do the to do the actual animating. Um, and so apparently, because I remember this too, like this show came out in a jonky, weird way, it mm-hmm. seemed like. It seemed like it was like always trying to come out, and then they only had like a handful of episodes, so they kept showing reruns, and then they started putting pumping more out. Well, apparently, I think that had a lot to do with ACOM. ACOM had their first uh, turn-ins be uh, largely unfinished. Um, uh, they just sent uh, the product back to uh, Saban and 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 folks, um, and it just was full of errors, and it was just like a whole a whole well, problem. They I almost mean, they fired ACOM. Are you an are you an artist? Like yes. I'm an animator. I've been in the animation business for ten but years. Dude, Jake, you, like, you know that about me. You've 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 researched enough, and you know enough like creative people that you know animation is hard. Absolutely, it's uh, you know to maintain that level of stability and uh, and and persistence of image uh, requires a lot of quality assurance. And when you look at the character designs of Jim Lee's X-Men with all of their anatomy, all of their little pouches, all of their little designs, all of their little intricate stripes and the it, Storm's hair alone yes. is a fucking nightmare. The fact that this show was made at all is like a testament to just how much money was in children's animation at the time. Yes. Because it is fucking crazy to me that this show was even made with the designs that they had. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and 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 so of course you know uh, that, that does make a lot more sense why they would have so many issues, um, but eventually they did uh, pull it together too, and and ended up uh, running this, this show ran for five seasons from 1992 to 1997. It consisted of uh, you know the main squad: Cyclops, Wolverine, Rogue, Storm, Beast, Gambit, Jubilee, Jean Grey, Professor X. Um, the theme song is written by Ron Wasserman. By the way, this guy is a legend <laughs> who created the Mighty Morphin. Power Rangers song. This dude, could you imagine having this dude play like your birthday party or something? How fun that would be. This guy rules. He's come up with so many fucking just radical rock and roll '90s, you know, uh, animation theme or TV theme songs for kids shows. It's high octane. I mean, how much cocaine do you think he did back around that time? Uh, probably like I don't know, an eight ball. 
every every two minutes. Jesus God. He probably had an assistant feed him the cocaine line while he just shredded. Do you remember this show much, Jake? Do you have a fondness for it? I'm trying to remember different ones. Of course, my main complaint was the Wolverine Sabretooth <laughs> Snow Fight episode. I could not believe the audacity of how many times they re-ran that one particular episode made me so angry. All I wanted to see was Juggernaut, and I was really big into Juggernaut at the time. I thought he was just the coolest. Um, and just people like that. There was I remember there being some really cool, like um sort of Sentinel-themed episodes where they did kind and they definitely got into the race war stuff, the oh yeah, the yeah. anti you No, know, this was a very 90s message cartoon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, everything from the HIV crisis to uh bigotry to any any and anything in between that you could like tack on a kid's like, hey, don't commit hate crimes. Wolverine wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, he would. Yeah, bub. <laughs> Wolverine. Wolverine's voice in this cartoon is very, very, very yeah. Jade, Jade, Scott, you son of a bitch. Oh my I'm God, Wolverine. is Wolverine in the studio? What's happening right now? Uh, Mike Lawrence, uh, co-host of uh, Nerd and Mouth, would always make fun of how laughably Canadian the voice actors in this yes. are. I mean, it's a very, Sorry, yeah. Gene, we can't, we can't, excuse me. <laughs> uh, Have a nice Molson, eh? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And uh, the, the, because there were so many team members with so many powers i just remember like every single fight scene would automatically have to like do house cleaning to like make the fights bearable because if professor x was in the room professor x can just knock out everybody with his mental powers yeah so there would always have to be like something going wrong and professor x would be like ah ah his mental power i can't hold him <laughs> um, and like Jean Grey could like Jean Grey would always get knocked out first because she's um, you know the phoenix and telekinetic and all this stuff. Um, it's it's it was just a lot of characters to maintain. Everyone had their own game though. Gambit and Rogue in full just like shameless glory. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of stories, I always liked it when like uh, X Force and X Factor characters would be like would would wiggle their way in. Like whenever Cable and Bishop would yep. show up, that was always cool because they had laser guns. And that was their heyday, uh, so to speak. Uh, my favorite thing in all of uh, the X Men animated cartoon is Apocalypse. Yes, uh, Super Producer Megan. I I know I'm asking a lot of you this episode. Could you look up? Uh, Apocalypse X-Men cartoon. Is it just because he sounded so insane? Uh, he, his quotes, his like, his just the sheer gravity. Apoc- my, my buddy actually, shout outs to Pat. I feel like I mentioned him so many times in uh, episodes because he is like a dude who, you know, I used to nerd out on stuff like this with. I remember he used to we just constantly complain about Apocalypse because Apocalypse can essentially just like kill everything and destroy everything, you know, essentially like or, or like he was like he impossible. was invulnerable. He would yeah, always stand there. To defeat. Nothing would hurt him yeah. and then he would somehow get like flustered enough to yeah, like yeah. leave. <laughs> How many people have dreamed of this my this end? You are no closer than the Babylonians with their swords and fire sticks. What? <laughs> you are no closer than, than the Babylonians. It's important that you know that this character has a big letter A on his belt. Yes. Is it possible you are correct, mutant? Also, he's not a robot. Oh, cable. Look at these character designs. They had to animate this shit. 
Yeah, it's kind of nuts. Like tortured Sisyphus, I cannot win. I am the rocks of the eternal shore. Crash upon me and be broken. Big letter A on his belt in case he forgets his own name. <laughs> Apocalypse. Oh, God. Apocalypse was radical on this. Yeah, show. for sure. Um, yeah. So that's really like, you know, there always comes a point where I got too old to for the like kind of uh, children's animation shows that were coming out. So I don't know a lot about X-Men Evolution, which ran for four seasons on the kids WB. Uh, many of the characters were teenagers. I do know that. And uh, I mean, it ran for four seasons. Do you know much about X-Men Evolution? Before I we know quickly move on to that the next if thing. you are younger than us. Uh, you like the same way that we got the hots for like Rogue and Storm in this uh, in our uh, X Men cartoon. If you are like a little bit younger, the uh, Kitty Pride and Rogue like rave dancing in the opening title is like your the awakening. Weird boner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your bizarre boner. So no matter what X Men, a lot of toad, give you a lot a of toad in X Men Evolution too. Oh, weird. Like yeah, a lot of toad time. And then Wolverine and the X Men was a 2009 show by Marvel Animation, but it was canceled after just one season aired on Nicktoons, it looks like. It was like, yeah, more for the foreign market, apparently. Gotcha. Well, then there was also the 12-episode anime show in 2015. It aired on G4 in the U.S. and Animax in Japan. It was, uh, uh... No, no, no. Okay, that was X Men and okay. oh no, no, they X Men and Wolverine separately had their yeah, own yeah. anime. Series. I watched that Wolverine anime. Is, how was it? A uh, Wolverine is like a cute anime boy in this, and it's real weird. Cool. It's real weird to watch because he's just like so it's just beachy, man. They go to Japan and fight the U-Men, which <laughs> apparently was originally appeared in Grant Morrison's run in the comic books. So yeah, it kind of has a Grant Whoa. Morrison. He is a pretty He's boy. got a mullet. He's like yeah. just a beautiful man. He's a pretty fun boy. And like it runs into every Wolverine is in Japan uh, crisis where like they keep throwing mooks at him. But he's an immortal knife man. <laughs> so there's never, like, I get that, like, this ninja is a really tough ninja. Is he an immortal knife god? Because <laughs> otherwise, I don't care. Right, right. Uh, so let's move on to the video games. Uh, we already mentioned, of course, the 1992 arcade game. But let's take a little uh, trip back before that. Not using the Wayway Back Machine, avoiding that machine mm-hmm. entirely. Uh, with the Uncanny X-Men released uh, by LJN for the NE. <laughs> In 1984, you can play with up to two players. It looks a lot to me like the Nintendo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. It looks uh, very said like top-down look. You play as either different characters, each with different abilities. You can play as Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, or the Iceman. You you switch them out as you go, depending on what they can do. It was really badly, and done. it was bad, right? It was a terrible game. Right? Yeah, I don't. LJN um, is like this weird company that is associated with bad licensed games because they would get the license for these multimedia properties that everyone loved, uh, just pimp them out to like the cheapest like basement of Japanese weirdos they could find, not give them any credit, and like just get it out the door. Dude, you think licensed games are bad now? Licensed games used to be incredibly attractive like it was always the great tell that a game was going to be bad if it was like a major entity from like tv or comics or film like you knew like there there are big exceptions to all the sunk costs 
that should have gone into making a game were already spent to get the license. Yes. So in order to make the profit, they just had to like cut every corner. Um, but also in 1989. Oh, if you want to get through that impossibly hard game. Oh yeah. Uh, pick Nightcrawler. Even though he doesn't have a special attack, his special power lets him walk through walls, so you can just like get past all the maze vertical scrolling bullshit. Ah. Also gotcha. have a game genie. And have a game. <laughs> That's the good thing about games back in the day. At least they did have that game genie. Uh, X Men Madness in Murder World, a computer game that came out in 1989 as well. MS DOS, Commodore 64, and Amiga were the systems it was published on by uh, Paragon Software. Um, a year later, they also released X Men 2: The Fall of the Mutants, same uh, same series. Murder World is an amusement park of terror uh, that is run by the nemesis uh, villain Arcade and. Magneto are also in there as uh, the main villains. It is a side-scroller brawler with adventures game-style puzzles thrown in. It looked largely boring. <laughs> most, I, most, uh, yeah. I watched footage of it. It looked like it was probably better than the NES Uncanny X-Men, but not that much better. Um, I did like the Theme Park 5. It looks like Streets of Rage. And then all of a sudden, you have to solve a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, good times. X-Men, the 92 arcade game, of course, we already talked about, and um, I think that would be my personal favorite. Um, there is also Spider-Man and the X-Men in Arcade's Revenge, which was a Super Nintendo game released in 92, also by LGN, LJN. rather. I don't remember this one too well. I'm about to complain a lot about an X-Men game, but that one's on the Sega Genesis. It was also, uh, it was also released on uh, uh, the Genesis Game Boy and the Game Gear. I had the Game Gear version in... It was dick of, on balls. Of Spider-Man and X-Men in Arcade's Revenge. First of all, um, oh, am I allowed to be in your presence, Game Gear owner? Oh, little, oh, <laughs> young Jake with his many problems had a Game Gear. So now I will I'll never you feel know, bad I about your I finished all of my porridge that month. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Ooh, fancy Mr. Game Gear over here. I don't even know how to be near you right now. I feel like I, I feel like I should bow down. It's, uh, <laughs> my parents, no, it's the Game Gear purchase. That wasn't what made me a fancy boy. It was the $80 a week I blew in AA batteries. Oh my God. Going. And like games as well. Holy Lord. Ugh. Um, terrible system for terrible people. It, honestly, honestly, a game, a, a portable system that you had to play, uh, plugged into the wall. <laughs> Uh, uh, I would rather have played a virtual boy in yeah. my youth than the game. Um, uh, but anyways, yeah, it's another kind of murder world-based uh, uh, game. It wasn't very good, though. No. Oh, actually, no, I'm confused. I was thinking of the... Uh the Game Gear version of the Genesis. Okay, wait, let's games. let's get into that. Um, there was also, by the way, really quick, there was another X Men game for the Game Gear called X Men Game Masters Legacy Two Games, and then also X Men Mojo World. And if you own those games and want to complain about them, just hit us up at wizardbruiser gmail.com. I would love to hear about the entire Mojo in general is such an unappealing, like uncompelling uh, storyline. In the it was just like Chris Claremont just like being like, man, media executives sure are fat phonies, huh? What if they <laughs> They had spider chairs. Like, I never understood like what the appeal was. It was so grotesque. Um, so now comes the game that made me. God, I was excited to play this game. I was. Uh, I was just. I could not fucking wait. I had saved up a bunch of money for it. It, it was. Um, you know, the poster looked so cool. The poster looked so fucking. Every awesome. screenshot in every gaming magazine made it look like it was just the cartoon made flesh. 
1993's X-Men for the Sega Genesis. You could play as Gambit, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Cyclops. All the cool ones. It was ass this game is one of my favorites i might have to maybe i'll have henry recount this for bonus content he i love his story of this because he was determined to beat this game and he literally ended up throwing picking up his sega (laughs) and throwing it against the wall and having it shatter and just like a a, a billion pieces he was so angry at his attempt to beat magneto by the way which i sent him the video of someone beating magneto you literally had to glitch the game out to beat Magneto. It was this. This game made me furious. I couldn't get past like the fourth level, mm-hmm. and, and like the only way I could get past it was to cheat again, glitch it out by using Nightcrawler's again transport mm-hmm. through walls thing. Because there was some fucked up puzzle that made no sense that mm-hmm. you couldn't get through the walls. I lo- like loved hated this guy I used to play it all the time and I knew it was bad it was like one of those but I had to play it because it was also like I wanted it to be so good and it just wasn't good because when you want to embody an X-Men character when you want to be Wolverine or Cyclops I feel like the emotion any young child wants is like I want to feel alone and powerless and frustrated and like having to duck and do like low attacks on generic goons that took 20 hits to fucking kill the funniest is too that you had to apparently when you defeated mojo or it was like mojo's crunch i didn't even get this far in the game to even know that you had to do this in order to beat the boss or move forward in the game you had to light not not just hit the reset button lightly hit the reset button if you hit the reset button too hard it would just reset the whole game but you had to lightly press the reset button and it would it would actually get you past that part of the game i have no fucking Wait, idea like as like a clever like i have no as like a, yeah, style Kojima twist ass co- <laughs> twist on the Sega Genesis. Um, in, uh, in 2011, IGN named the game in its 15 really, really, really hard games list, citing unfairly placed enemies, ridiculously annoying jumps, and nearly impossible to beat audience uh, uh, bosses. I hear Clone Wars was, like, less shitty. Yes, that is the sequel, X-Men 2 Clone Wars. I can't remember if I played it. I was so mad at the first game. But, uh, yeah, I think that was apparently a little bit less shitty. Uh, and then also, did you ever play X-Men Mutant Apocalypse? for the SNES uh, by Capcom, released in 94. Was that one of those, like, weird Capcom side-scrolly things where they also used, like, sprites from the fighting games? Um, Like, War of the Gems and, like, all that stuff? I don't even know. And then, okay, so, and then we can get into the fighting games a little bit. I feel like at some point, like, Marvel vs. Capcom would, like, get its own episode, Mm. to be be fair, or at least, like, Capcom's fighting games will get its own episode. Just the CVS2 arcade Board. But what was interesting to me in learning about some of this is the, is just watching footage of X Men: Children of the Atom that was produced by Capcom um, in uh, uh, oh I don't have the year but it was an arcade game produced by Capcom and just if you look at it this is kind of the first game f- that really launched the whole Marvel versus Capcom series like if it weren't for X Men: Children of the Atom like we wouldn't have Marvel versus Capcom it just looks like a prototype like an early version of that. Um, um, of that series of games like it's yeah. got that very anime ish cartoony awesome you know fighting game style it features voice actors from the 92 x-men animated show which i thought was awesome the fighting largely based on street fighter 2 um and was the basis for marvel's capcom series marvel superheroes came next um that was yet another fighting game um in this line but after that came marvel versus capcom and again i think i'm gonna kind of leave it there i feel like there's tons to talk about with marvel's 
Dapcom, and I would actually probably make that its own uh, episode of material. But um, I if mean, if you want um, the shittiest. X-Men fighting game, you can uh, power up your PlayStation and check out X-Men Mutant Academy. Ooh. Which was, uh, it used like pre-rendered CGI like, graphics. Wow. It is, I think the Super Best Friends have like a couple episodes where they crack nice. into them. And it is jank on shit toast. Nice. Not, oh, I'm sounding like a YouTuber right now. <laughs> this is just, this is just a pig piss in a pile <laughs> of fuck, man. Uh, X-Men, the official game by Activision. You ever play that one? It was a tie into the movies, which we're about to get to. A nice little segue there. Covers elements from X2 and X-Men The Last Stand. Maybe well, those movies will be talked about in literally minutes. Uh, following characters Wolverine, Iceman, and Nightcrawler. It was released on the PS2, Xbox, and Xbox 360 using voice acting from Hugh Jackman, Alan Cumming, Sean Ashmore, Patrick Stewart, Tyler Mayne, and Eric Dane. It's kind of awesome they got all these people to do the voices. Um, and it was actually um, written by Zach Penn, who is a co-writer on X2 and The Avengers, and Chris Claremont from the comics. And so it seems like it actually isn't too bad of a game like kind of a cool game x-men i love it's the name x-men the official game <laughs> so like the, no other game is a fit this is the game x-men legends is another uh that is an action role-playing game by activision released oh, on yeah, consoles yeah. in 2004 um where you choose a team of four x-men and it was like a co-op campaign a campaign it was that you a precursor play, to ultimate alliance and led to a sequel uh yeah yeah. So, if you if you loved uh, Ultimate Alliance, it, it was that top did, down, well done. Did you have any memories of any of those, or is, is any of that? So I didn't really play any of that stuff. So uh, I can't no, really speak towards it. And I I'll go crazy if I don't at least mention it. And I, at the time, there were all these like ads in PC gaming magazines for a Quake Total Conversion X Men game, huh. where you fought like evil clones of the X Men and it tied into Apocalypse. I don't know. I didn't have a good enough computer to run it. But if I'll, I'll look up footage of it later because I'm getting wistful <laughs> super wistful right now now before we get into the films which is gonna take up the full rest of uh our our combo here i do briefly want to mention the toy biz toys oh my god uh, uh from the 90s they were uh hasbro now has the license to marvel but i loved those toys um there was you know the original uh of uh, uh, team was cyclops nightcrawler storm colossus wolverine archangel um with magneto juggernaut and Apocalypse as the three villains. Um, you, did you collect those? Did you? I collected those? them. They were incredibly popular. I I think Lawrence, Mike Lawrence to bring him up again. He has a bunch of them still, right? He, he oh like, yeah, absolutely. Collected, um, collected those. And Toy Biz was a division of Marvel's like weird patchwork of companies that were under the Marvel banner. Uh, it wasn't until like 2007, I think, that Hasbro officially got the license for all the uh, Marvel toys, and like the brand kind of disappeared. But this is super clutch. Did you know? that the X-Men made it to the Supreme Court. Oh, no. And uh, I mean, yes, of course, we all knew that. In 2003, the Toy Biz Inc. versus United States came upon... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It's the United States Court of International Trade. My mistake. I overhyped it. But this was <laughs> a long-standing legal battle because Marvel, via Toy Biz, kept insisting that the uh, X-Men were non-human monsters... And hmm. therefore, under U.S. tariffs, did not qualify as dolls, but rather toys. 
because uh, due to like I don't even remember what era, but there was like a huge protectionist American doll lobby that like officially uh. made imported dolls uh, a twelve percent tariff, <laughs> whereas imported toys only had a six percent tariff. And so, despite the fact that the entirety of the X Men is proving <laughs> to the world that they are people <laughs> and not thoughts and emotions, monsters. and though they look different, they still have a human that heart on the inside. Awesome. Legally, Marvel was like, "No, nah, look at this guy. He's got fucking knife hands. He's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a big old dum dum. He's a monster, monster. That's <laughs> awesome." And then the other thing I want to bring up is there's tons of cards and toys and stuff, but I do have a personal love for the Marvel masterpieces uh, trading cards. Um, Joe I, Jusco, I thought, man. Joe Jusco, known for his uh, realistic, highly detailed painted fantasy pinup and cover illustrations. His early work included covers for Heavy, heavy Metal magazine. If to give you an idea of his uh, the look of his stuff, and and I thought these just looked amazing and I got really into my I think I still have a good uh, a decent collection of Marvel Masterpieces cards but if uh, just a shout out to those if, if you're listening at home and you remember those if you're around my age uh, you were probably obsessed with them too I, I loved them I thought they were so great and the foil special edition cards looked mm. awesome like they just they just presentationally looked great I would just I would just comb through them and look at them for long periods of time as I was so impressed with the visual style of them I thought and, and it just got me really amped to like try to get as many of them as I could. I killed a, a boy on the playground one time to steal his uh, his pogs, his X Men pogs. No, 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 no. I buried him in the woods. Jesus Christ! I, I still hear the screams. Good God, Jake! He had triples of jubilee, and I Jake. was like, "Oh, how many jubilees do you need?" In two thousand, <laughs> a man comes along. Well, uh, first of all, X Men. Where's X Men? Where are? Where are superhero films? I mean, this is like one of the big ones that kicked off the craze that we now have today. People will argue whether or not Blade was officially the first wave of this, but Ah. X-Men got the ball rolling. They were very much so. Uh, what we considered this the 2000s dominance of superhero based movies began with this movie so uh, X-Men directed by Brian Singer um, he's a guy who started making 8mm films in his early teens he's the director of Usual Suspects which I did not realize that's kind of awesome and um, he he took a script written by David Hayter now David Hayter has the career I wish I had <laughs> he's the voice of Solid Snake mm-hmm. he co wrote the X-Men movie. He played Captain America in the 94 Spider-Man animated series. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of incredible. Uh, This guy's career, he's like a prolific writer, voice actor, the voice of Snake Plissken. Anyways, uh, love love this dude's career. Um, but really, even before this, before we even get to these people, Development Man goes all the way back to 1984. Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, Marvel chief editors uh, at the time, wrote a screenplay for Orion Pictures. Now, um, that, that of course, does not go anywhere. And then throughout 1989 and 1990, Stanley and Chris Claremont, who uh, we talked in, uh, uh, in detail about in X-Men episode one, part one, uh, were in discussion with Carolco Pictures for an X-Men film adaptation with James Cameron as producer, Catherine Bigelow directing. Uh, Bob Hoskins at, the, at that time was being considered for Wolverine, which is <laughs> insane, right? Oh, my God. Could you imagine? The world that could have been. Could you fucking imagine Angela Bassett as Storm? Roger Rabbit as Jubilee. <laughs> um, now, Carolco Pictures, who they were 
working, uh, developing it for goes bankrupt. Um, uh, and then after the success of the animated show, Fox very smartly bought the film rights. Um, there were several different spit, uh, pit scripts and pitches, uh, different folks uh, getting involved, including, uh, just to name a couple, Joss Whedon, Michael Chabon, who wrote The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, and, uh, which, by the way, read that book. If you're a comic enthusiast, you will love it. Um, they were uh, uh, directors uh, all over the board were offered the job, uh, one of which was Robert Rodriguez. I couldn't fucking imagine a Robert Rodriguez X-Men movie. That'd be insane. Um, so anyways, finally, Brian Singer gets attached to the project, and David Hayter does a giant rewrite on the script, which gives him sole WGA credit for the film. I'm not going to get into how insane getting credit <laughs> for writing a screenplay can be, but it's amazing that he was able to get that done. Uh, look up our Alien episode if you want to hear just how snipey people get to get those credits. Now, um, another person who was up for uh, Wolverine, Singer's first choice for Wolverine, was Russell Crowe, who turned the role down, and thank goodness he did, because then Brian Singer was able to turn around and get his no-name buddy signed on to the project, uh, Hugh Jackman. And unknown at the time, uh, he was able to get the job based off of a really, really good audition. They definitely didn't want to go with him, but Singer was able to get him in there. Um, Patrick Stewart was always uh, Brian Singer's first choice to play Xavier, and how would he not be? He's I everyone's mean, was, first yeah, choice. He was to play. Professor Xavier. Uh, James Marsden uh, uh, gets in there. Great uh, Cyclops. He based like his performance. Cyclops. He said he based it uh, his performance uh, on a Boy Scout. Yeah. So there you go. It's perfect. <laughs> and uh, Angela Bassett and Janet Jackson were approached um, for Storm, but of course it ended up going to. Um, Halle Berry. Halle Berry, thank you. Oh, Delivering gracious. the classic line, what happens when a toad is struck by lightning? Yes. The same thing as everything same else. Same thing as everything else. Ah, oh, so good. Uh, and then um, Ian, McPe Ian McKellen was actually in uh, an earlier Brian Singer film uh, called Apt Pupil. Oh, yeah. Um, and as an activist for gay rights, um, uh, he really responded to the allegories in the film. Definitely down to get in there and uh, uh, play... Um, Magneto. I mean, uh, Brian Singer, uh, which by the time this airs, maybe more accusations against him will come out. Oopsie yeah, doodle. Yeah. Uh, it, just for the sake of posterity, we know. We're, we're, we're aware it's just nothing's official yet. Right. Um, the, uh, the, the shift, especially in the early 2000s, to make it a uh, gay acceptance parable was really apt at like the exact right time. Um, the fact that the X-Men themselves, because... Uh, again, the superhero movie genre had been like basically just dashed against the rocks by uh, Joel Schumacher um, for being too campy, by being like too unbelievable that audiences, especially like still in their 90s hangover, uh, wanted something like grungy and authentic and like real. The X-Men are like not quite superheroes. They're more of like a occasionally violence outreach program. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. So like uh, the way that they kind of adapted the X-Men, they got, you know, they used the black leather like costumes. They. Yeah. Uh, so, and I was bummed about that to be honest with you. I, I uh, personally was like, I wanted that old costume design. Like I just said, it was so resonant to. Um, the, you wanted the full Jim Lee. You wanted the yeah, shoulder pouches. You wanted the briefs. 
But but I understand. On everything. Chris, Chris Claremont himself said, you can do that on a drawing, but when you put it on people, it's disturbing. Um, uh, and uh, I get that. I totally get that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, uh, they went with, like, the black leather look, mm. made it more gritty, serious. Rebecca Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Wore 110 individual silicone prosthetics on her body to portray Mystique. She said, I almost I had almost no contact with the rest of the cast. It was like I was making a different movie from everyone else. It was hell. Um, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a nightmare for sure. Um, so, yeah. Uh, 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 did you like it? I... I'm ha- I don't remember. Like we're about to get into X two and X two. I remember very fondly. X two is the is the one better of the movie. greatest. It's in in the t- probably top five, <laughs> easily in the top five best superhero movies of all time. Uh, debatable, yeah, debatable. But I would say in my personal, yeah, e- yeah. it's easily in there. Um, but the first I remember just being it's a pretty milk and potatoes, uh, uh you know, action movie superhero. I'm sorry, movie. did you say milk and potatoes? Yeah, yeah. That's it's meat and potatoes. Oh, meat and potatoes. I don't what. Kind of, what kind of stews do you eat, bro? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm go. I'm, I'm. My brain is do melting. Do you dunk the potato in the milk or is simmer it? My brain is is falling apart. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, meat and potatoes. Yes, meat and potatoes. Mil- milk and potato <laughs> diet. Yeah, that looks like a really delicious. That's milk an al gratin. Oh, it. that looks so tasty. That's like <laughs> a really good casserole. Meg, how dare you show us pictures? And of that's people. completely basic. Yes, very meat and potatoes action superhero film. God, that looks delicious. The milk and the potatoes. <laughs> Um, uh, But uh, yeah, yeah I mean, I remember though It being very, you know, satisfactory Like it was just very like On the money For Uh, as far as a Hollywood blockbuster goes The holy shit moments Where like it starts with uh, Magneto Like in the Holocaust Yes uh, Was super intense Uh, Is that the first X-Men? Is it the first or is it the second? I don't know Um, It's very blurred I didn't rewatch any of these movies Um, Yeah, yeah, same The uh, you know what oddly sticks out to me is uh, when Senator Kelly <laughs> turns into a big puddle. Yes. <laughs> it's like a really disturbing <laughs> special because like the CGI wasn't there at the time. So yeah. the fact that the effect was like kind of bad made it like even worse. So funny. Well, anyways, I think I think we should move on to the to the movie we can gush about. X2, the mm. 2003 sequel by Brian Singer, written by Michael Doherty, who uh, wrote Trick or Treat yeah. um, and Dan Harris who wrote uh, Superman Returns and David Hayter coming back voice of Snake Plissken. I would just keep saying, do the thing. Kept you waiting, huh? Just say it. Just say it. I feel like I would never be able to write a script with him as I'd always just be screaming at him to do lines as Snake Plissken. Metal Gear. <laughs> Metal Gear. Inspired by God Loves, Man Kills, which mm-hmm. we've talked about uh, ad nauseum in the first episode, um, as well with, uh, as a little Return to Weapon X mixed in there. I just remember how strike that first scene is with Nightcrawler in the White oh House. Oh my God! Um, and just from the moment it starts, it just pulls you in so well. And I, I remember, like, I wasn't that into the superhero X Men thing at the time. Like X Men, the the first X Men, I remember. I I just like watched it at home, you know, on VHS or DVD or whatever at the time. Uh, and then X Two though, there was more of it to do. I'd heard it was really good, so I went to the theater and saw it. And boy, was I pleasantly surprised. It was so so good just the pacing everything was so phenomenal yeah, Alan Cumming was great as Nightcrawler yes so good as Nightcrawler um, um yeah for, uh, uh 
uh, Singer said uh, of of the his approach to the film, it, it was he wanted to to uh, look into the the human perspective, the kind of blind rage that feeds into warmongering and terrorism. He wanted a human villain, and he found that in William Stryker, which was uh, is a colonel instead of a priest uh, in the film. Uh, I think at the time there was a lot of you know this is what 2003, so we're a couple years after 9/11. There was a lot of um, intense discussion about the war. Um, happening, uh, you know, uh, uh, the war over terrorism and sort of like over uh, uh, militarization happening. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was like definitely. Also, just Brian Cox just had like crazy premise that mm-hmm. he could just stare down all these superheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reveal that his like son was like, um, like it, all, it all it all worked really well. Yes. Um, the Lady Deathstrike fight was pretty rad. Yes, we're like. I need to watch this movie. Uh, it was. It's the this thunk of her body straight. when she hits the bottom of the tank. I remember as a kid being like, "Oh." oh. <laughs> um. Uh. So yeah. I mean, any, anything else you want to say about X Two? We got so many movies to talk about here. So. Uh, it's. I want to rewatch it. I hope it stands up. Uh, the dynamic between uh, Iceman and Pyro and like Iceman's family and Anna Paquin just still just like being a great, less sexy rogue is, you know, fine for, you know, I'm just saying like, it, is Rogue Rogue without the leather jacket and full body spandex bodysuit? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Man, you have a horniness for Rogue that I never really fully understood until these X-Men episodes. She makes me hornier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, sugar. The next movie <laughs> that uh, is the only one I don't think I actually saw myself. Oh, you missed this? I think because I heard it was such a hot plate of fucking filthy ass mm-hmm. X-Men The Last Stand uh, that came out in 2006 directed by Brett Ratner Brian Singer steps away uh, to work oh, on thank Superman God that, Returns that accused sexual harasser Brett Ratner is gone and we got uh, Brian Singer yeah Brian Singer is gone we brought in Brett Ratner Whew, touched touched a bullet he that. directed some gems he did the Rush Hour series which I loved he did Red Dragon which was fine um, <laughs> and uh, oh wait wait d- d- Brett Ratner also was accused of of, uh, sexual misconduct oh, well. yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. by multiple actresses. Um, uh, yeah, so that's a fun, good, that's uh, good. So this is where we get it. We talked about this briefly in the uh, Deadpool episode, but the Fox studio head at the time, uh, Tom uh, Rothman, who has like a very storied career. He helped get Titanic and Avatar through the uh, studio. Like the guy, you know, knows how to make hits. But for some reason, something about uh, the X-Men franchise, like, uh, this thing happens in Hollywood where, like, if an executive can't take credit for something, they don't give a shit about it. Mm. And, like, he had fought against the X-Men franchise and was always butting heads with Singer about, like, cuts and the direction of the films. And so he was, like, actively just did not care about these movies. Like, yes. if they failed, it would prove him right. And so it was... Uh, it was conflicts with Brian Singer that like drove Brian Singer to be like, fuck this, I'm doing Superman. And uh, he brought in Brett Ratner and like, we're going to get into uh, a, just a real one, two doozy of, of shit right now. Joss Whedon wrote the script. 
I don't remember. It's I, loosely based on the Dark Phoenix saga and uh, the Gifted storyline. Oh, no. Joss Whedon wrote the Gifted storyline, and okay. it is loosely based on that. It's written by Simon Kinberg, who wrote Mr. and Mrs. Smith, <laughs> and uh, Zach Penn, who did uh, co-write on X2. Um, it was made on a budget of $210 million. It was the most expensive film at the time. Visual effects were done by 11 different companies. I mean, it's, it's insane. Like, Magneto, like, tears apart the Golden Gate Bridge, and it there's no like value to anything that happens in the story. They're just like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we wasted twenty million dollars on this? I've I I and 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 to take probably like one of the most regarded storylines in all of comics with the Dark Phoenix saga and just muck it up. So so um, Professor X uh, gets popped like a water balloon <laughs> by uh, Fonka Johnson. Um, <laughs> The uh, there's a character who's like part of like this underground like punk Magneto squad that his only power is he can like pin cushions like needles out of his body we like, have to do a giggle like a flicks. porcupine we have to do a giggle and he's useless me. nothing he's the dumbest character <laughs> and his only thing he does is he kills someone by convincing them to hug him first <laughs> it is f- really bad that's so funny. um also this is this is like one of my most frustrating uh moments ever sitting in a theater is uh half the movie is about the dark phoenix saga which is and in, if we talked about in the first episode the dark phoenix saga is about this long build and like reconstruction of the character of Jean Grey because she was kind of this just the girl cipher and like you know forming her personality and having her you know express herself and expand her powers and like how that ultimately brings destruction yada 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 in this movie they just cram through all that like as quickly as possible uh the side then the side plot is about how there's this little kid whose mutant power is he cancels out other mutants mutant powers uh, powers so they uh, want to rescue him because it's it's weird that they're using him to force a cure on mutants and they do that it's like a big escape sequence and they get the kid whose sole thing is he makes people's mutant powers go away but they didn't resolve the Dark Phoenix thing yet, so Jean Grey is going nuts, and Wolverine, uh, as you know, Healy McImmortal Knife Man, is like, I'm the only one that can end this. And it's like the dramatic music is playing, and like all this CGI bullshit is happening, and Magneto Ian McKellen's like, no, no, <laughs> and like the dramatic music, and Wolverine's getting closer, and like his body's getting shredded apart, and Jean Grey is like, <laughs> and like the whole time I'm screaming. I'm, Internally, like, just get the kid whose whole deal is he effortlessly stops mutant shit from happening. He's right there. He is. He's right there. We got him. What are you doing? And like, it's like Wolverine's like, I gotta do this. Oh, Gene, I love you. Um, you Jackman, I don't talk like this. Ah! And he like, and it's it's so over dramatic. And the whole time I'm just like, this is dumb. <laughs> I did not care for the film. It was dumb. And uh, so I haven't seen it. And maybe someday I will. <laughs> maybe a gig- I think a giggle flicks. But just so I, I can re-hate. But what uh, movie I definitely... Kelsey Grammer was in it, though. Yeah. They finally got fun. Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Uh, but one movie I did uh, see and quite enjoy was X-Men First Class, the soft reboot. Oh, we're just going to skip over... Or do you consider X-Men Origins Wolverine just to be a Wolverine movie? Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is what I did. I, cl- uh, I didn't okay. do... Because I think that... All right. I think that Wolverine should have its own his own episode he should because i can't even begin to get into logan and all, uh, all those movies i just w- i just wanted to i he just got, he also got his own comic series and everything so 
so the, I just want to get this off the ground because it, it's also a, a, a nitpick is uh, uh, the 2013 Wolverine movie, which was like the no, we're going to really make a good yeah. Wolverine movie, but they still fucked it up. Yeah. Was the Wolverine. Which is ah. so dumb because he is never referred to as the Wolverine. Yeah, it's always it's a Wolverine. code name. It's he's mm-hmm. part of a military operation, and his code name was Wolverine. No right. one. It's not a title. It is not an honorific. Right. Also, Hugh Jackman is like really tall and like more brooding. Uh-huh. So like the very idea that like this character is like this tiny, fuzzy, volatile, like f- like ravenous guy. Right. It's a wrong code name. They should have just called him Knife Dude. Knife Dude. <laughs> Um, all right, so X-Men First Class was the soft reboot prequel directed by Matthew Vaughn, who got his start as a producer on Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, and got popular as a director with Layer Cake and a movie I loved, uh, Kick-Ass. Yeah. Um, great superhero movie. It's set around 1962's Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, with the, it's the origin of the X-Men and the Brotherhood of Mutants, uh, Magneto's evil uh, uh, clan brood. Um, the final draft of the script was written by Matthew Matthew Vaughn and his writing partner Jane Goldman. Uh, Jane Goldman wrote the Kingsman movies and also Kick-Ass. Um, Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy as Magneto and Professor X. Awesome casting they there. They elevate, like, without them, this would have been another disaster. Yeah, it was, they, I really enjoyed First Class. I thought you it was really You say that. Great. You say that. You what, you, know? what you really enjoyed was the first couple of scenes where Michael Fassbender is just like handsome as fuck and killing Nazis with magic. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That's cool. When you get to the, like, last half of the movie where it's like Kevin Bacon in a stupid helmet and like January Jones and like uh, oh god it's real bad and like they introduce all these like side mutants who are like super cool and like or you know they introduce these side mutants and then like one by one Everyone gets offed except the white kids. There's <laughs> li- do you remember the Darwin scene? Yeah, yeah. There was literally, they introduced guys like, my name's Darwin. <laughs> my power is I can survive anything, no matter what. My body will adapt to it. And then, like, Kevin Bacon comes in, feeds him an evil golf ball, and he dies. <laughs> it's like, like, it's so, I, my thought literally at the time was like, oh, well, at least I know they're not going to kill the black guy first. <laughs> it was like, it was like, he was the morph of the movie. He just was like, I've never heard of you. you you're going to die. For me, I guess the 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 status of the X Men in films at that point with the bad Wolverine movie and X Men Last Stand, it was like I was told, you know, hey, X Men's kind of back in movies now with uh, First Class. You should really check it out, and I did, and I did like it. But also in comparison to the in the landscape, uh, it didn't have to be that great to be great, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, Matthew Vaughn said of the film, "I got my cake and ate it. I managed to do an X Men movie a, and a Bond thing and a Frankenheimer political thriller all." at the same time um uh they said it was a bloody hard balancing uh of modern and antique to recreate the 1960s in a way that was not so alien to the kids that it looked like a period piece um so they're they're doing the whole 60s thing and then they do the whole 70s thing in the follow-up x-men days of future past (laughs) oh man days of future past i I really like days of future past you don't like days of future past um the cracks were beginning to show in Days of Future Past. Directed by Brian Singer. Who, by the way, like, fuck you, Brian Singer. You left for Superman and then, like, you know, you went off on your own. Superman Returns was a dud. And then, like, Jack the Giant Slayer was a piece of trash. And then some other guy rescues your franchise that you had, like, let go fallow. Yeah. And now you're just waltzing back in, like, don't worry, guys. It's me. I'm back. Like, ugh. Bleh. <laughs> also, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who was, like, an amazing find when they got her for first class, 
was so done having to go through the mystique yeah, makeup like yeah. already. I mean, like, it just sounds awful to have to deal with it. Uh, Singer approached James Cameron to discuss time travel, string theory, and multiverses. He studied films like Back to the Future, Terminator, and uh, whatnot uh, uh, to, to get into the whole... He uh, essentially originated his own philosophy and set of rules for the time travel in the film. Um, of course, there's that Quicksilver sequence. I think that's probably the most memorable part It's of one the of the movie. most memorable things in the entire movie. It's so good. Uh, when uh, What's the song that plays? I forget. But it, when he puts on the headphones and he runs around the room if in the I slow motion. Time uh, it's fucking awesome. Uh, Evan Peters and a stunt double were filmed in both the set being suspended by a harness and on a treadmill that stood in front of a chroma key green screen. Sounds insane uh, how they had to put this whole thing together. Um, the sequence had only 29 effect shots, but it required nearly seven months of work from RSP's team of 70 artists. Um, Remember that scene near the end where uh, Magneto uh, just like lifted an entire baseball stadium, yeah. dropped it on the White House, uh, then Mystique came up and like pointed a gun at Richard Nixon, <laughs> but then decided not to shoot Richard Nixon? Huh. And that's why everyone, does, uh-huh. and everyone was like, I guess mutants are okay. They only... Almost shoot the president. Yeah, so, uh, and of course, this was based on the X Men storyline, the comics, uh, Days of Future Past. I I really enjoyed it, though. Now, this is a bad mark of a movie. The next movie, X Men Apocalypse, I'm I'm still trying to remember whether or not I actually saw it. I'm pretty sure I did, but I cannot remember. I saw it, and it scarred me for life. Oh, yeah. Um, Have we talked about this before? No. There is a scene in X Men Apocalypse where. uh, Apocalypse, played by Oscar Isaacs, uh, and Sabanor, the, the great immortal mutant god, uh, takes Michael Fassbender back to Auschwitz to, uh, you know, reconnect with his hatred of humanity and for him to, like, you know, really summon his darkest energies and powers to bring down human society. And uh, the music swells and Michael Fassbender is like screaming his heart out as he feels the anguish for his lost people and the sheer cruelty of humankind against its own. And in the background, like hanging out is Olivia Munn dressed as Psylocke. Yes. (laughs) Like in a purple thong, like you can see like the latex, like if her costume riding up her butt and the combination of like horny 90s nostalgia and Jewish Holocaust guilt <laughs> broke my brain I was like what is this movie this is a bad movie yeah I don't know if I I saw it I don't I can't I don't think I have seen it yet the entire really thing okay. basically just sets up that like new Jean Grey also has Phoenix in her and that's and it's like the origin story of how Professor X got bald meanwhile it within the X-Men continuity they keep jumping 10 years and the next one's going to be another 10 years in the future for uh, they're going to be in the 90s uh and by that time x-men dark phoenix yeah x-men dark phoenix written so- and directed by simon kinberg uh bring back the old cast sophie turner as jean gray slash phoenix which is fun i like sophie turner a lot from game of thrones she is sansa but will but like will mcavoy is going to be, like, be Professor X, and he's going to be 15... Like, Professor X is going to be 59 years old mm-hmm. by then. And 
Patrick Stewart was 59 years old when he played Professor X. Like, it's the, the time jump thing is so weird and so, like, ah. I, well, we'll see. It's set to release November 2nd, 2018, and uh, we hope they get the uh, Deadpool the Dark was Phoenix the highest saga. grossing X Men movie. <laughs> Deadpool got it right. That's amazing. End this franchise. I'm glad Disney bought 20th Century Fox. They'll do something better. They're also going to do The New Mutants, which is a horror film involving the young mutants escaping a facility in which they are being held against their will. Maisie Williams, of also of Game of Thrones fame, she plays uh, Arya. Uh, she's signed on to play Wolfsbane. That's set to release April 13th, 2018. Wolfsbane? Oh, that's such a weird choice. I'm pretty excited about that more so than I am about X-Men Dark Phoenix. Also in development is an X-Force film, and a New Mutants sequel has already been like started in development, so I guess they're pretty excited about this New Mutants movie. Uh, Jake, I think that's fucking it! I think we covered everything. Yeah. Uh, the X-Men's been, uh, they'll be around for a while as long as there's like weird Whew. teenagers that just want to see like very attractive monster people, uh, have emotions about the world. Holy shit, dude. What is so, so much here. And I know we just kind of barely scratched the surface. It feels like there's just so much to the legacy of the X-Men starting back in the 1960s. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We hope if uh, you like us, uh, or, or dislike us, write a review on iTunes. Um, and it's genuinely rate us. the best way you can help us right Please. now. It, would, it, it always gives me happy. And if you want to check out our Patreon, it's uh, patreon.com slash whizbrew. And uh, we have bonus content rolling out. And uh, we hope you enjoy that. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got. Uh, follow me on Twitch, Hold Nader's Ho. Jake? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And have a great time in your life. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.